Hello, all you reinventors. I have a great story, especially for those of you who come out of publishing and journalism and the place that sits very heavy in my heart that has had just a terrible run of it um, in the last few years. I actually have a positive story for you. It's so exciting. I have Elizabeth McBride, who runs the Times of Entrepreneurship and she now has a book called The New Builders, Face-to-Face with the True Future of Business, which will be out in May. And she was a business journalist for 20 years and a freelancer for 10. And when she got divorced and she had to figure out how she was gonna support herself and her home and her kids, she figured out, she figured out a hole in the market um, for, writing about entrepreneurship. And she actually made it into a kind of newspaper, online newspaper, that she was able to go out and get foundational funding for. And then she used all the conversations and connections and all the people she covered in entrepreneurship because nobody at that point was covering anybody except the obvious people in. Silicon Valley and the accelerators and talking about one area of entrepreneurship, she wanted to go bigger than that and talk to real people who are real entrepreneurs and what they're doing and how they're doing it. And women entrepreneurs, yes, there are some. So she got her found her funding from the Kaufman Foundation and the Walton Foundation. And they're a year in um, and they've got a new sponsorship from Young um, YPO and um, Young President's uh, organization. And um, she's off and running and she reports on entrepreneurship and it's a hole in the market um, that very few people have gone inside of. The big newspapers like the Wall Street Journal don't focus on it. They might you know, touch on it and then leave. And she's found a niche that works and she's a journalist. And when I ask her, as you'll see in the interview, why she thinks it worked for her is she said that, you know, learning, she didn't start out knowing about finance, but learning about finance helped put her into an area that would get her financing because that was an area that the patriarchy, the white male patriarchy, still is interested in funding, unlike where I come from, which is fashion and beauty and all that stuff, um, which they consider women's work and people don't fund. So very, very, very interesting story. And you're gonna love, she's got some incredible pointers for how to use your network in the right way to get you going. Um, Real important tips that she had not actually thought about until I asked her about them. So they're great. So I hope you will enjoy this conversation with Elizabeth McBride. So Elizabeth, I'm so delighted to see you here. This is wonderful. I'm really excited to talk with you too. So let's talk. You have so much to talk about, which is your amazing newspaper that you created, your new book. Um, But let's start with your personal reinvention story. Let's talk about you and you were a business journalist for 20 years and a freelancer. Talk about your evolution as a 
reinventor and entrepreneur. Just quickly, so we understand where'd you grow up, yep, um, what your background is, and okay. um, we start that way. Okay, thanks. Well, I have to say, first of all, this is this podcast is perfect for me because I feel like I'm a classic case of a reinvention in the in the middle of my life. Um, but the the short version of the story is that I'm a military brat, um, which. Uh, means that I grew up all over the world. My dad was uh, in the Air Force. Um, And they say that if you grow up traveling, um, traveling feels like home. And that's definitely the case for me. So my reinvention actually involved quite a bit of travel. Um, But I think what's special about military brats, they call us the oldest subculture in America, is that we're very, very adaptable. Um, And that was a big advantage when um, about seven years ago, I went through a divorce that left me, um, I had no job um, because I'd had to leave the career I was building. I was working part-time for a company in Silicon Valley and that um, it was just kind of too stressful with the divorce going on and my kids needed me a lot at home. So I had to leave that job. and come back home. And I was sort of sitting here with $7,000 in my bank account. My mortgage was $2,500 a month. I live in the, in the suburbs of Washington, DC. And really the only career I had um, was as a, kind of, as a part-time writer, right? I had been a journalist. I'd been managing editor of Cranes New York, but left that previously to be home with my kids. So I had built this part-time freelance career and that's all I had. Um, and I just, <laughs> since all, all I knew how to do was write well, um, then I thought, well, I've just got to ramp up, right? And so at that point, I reinvented myself and turned that writing career into a business, right? I just upped my game in every way that I could, took tons of assignments that were like on the borderlines of my comfort zone. Um, That included covering entrepreneurs much more than I had been doing entrepreneurs in the Middle East, um, entrepreneurs in other parts of the world. I really dug into the world of high finance and interviewed people like Jack Bogle, the founder of Vanguard, which was all pretty scary to me, but um, I just pushed myself out there and ended up cobbling together a career at the intersection of entrepreneurship and finance. And that's the way... I then was able to support my kids for the past seven years or so. So talk about what that was exactly, because you're one of the one of the success stories. I mean, everything else is dying in publishing. So you're actually making a go of it and it's working. I don't need I don't need to have my voice go up like that. <laughs> I know. I'm a publishing refugee going, somebody made it. That's unbelievable. This is incredible, more incredible story than I ever thought. I mean, yeah, I'm hearing I'm a hearing, disaster everywhere. Uh, it is a total disaster. Um, so the answer to that is yes, some somehow. Honestly, like I think yeah. Well, the short answer is that it worked because it was business and finance, right? And that was really the only part of journalism that was continuing to pay writers at all, because it's a very, it's a specialized area. Um, The companies 
and really still want and value the coverage. So they're still paying work in that field. And I was able to do that. I mean, my love is journalism, right? And I'm able, I do, I love talking to everybody, all kinds of people because I love their stories, but I also love kind of the financial parts of their stories because I really see um, that money is so important. Um, and so I was willing to kind of combine the storytelling and the finance in ways that other journalists just didn't want to do, right? So totally comfortable talking about exchange traded funds, um, speaking to Jack Bogle about, you know, like um, index investing versus active investing. But to me, it's still all really about the story. And because I was able to do both of those things, and I wasn't kind of an elitist or snobby about doing that kind of finance and money stuff. I think that's why I was able to pull off making enough money to support my kids. Now, the other thing that I did, which tons of other freelance writers do, is um, is help people with ghostwriting, right? So some of my clients then ended up being um, uh, venture capitalists or CEOs who wanted to write books or wanted to become thought leaders. And so I supplemented the journalism with the higher paying writing, but it did work. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I do feel incredibly lucky that I was able to carve that path, but I feel like so many women have an advantage there. And you call yourself a refugee from publishing, but I would say that you're, well, obviously you're in the middle of a reinvention too, right? And it's all about building off of your network. So that's the capital that women, older women really bring to the table, right? You absolutely can do this reinvention if you use those relationships that you invested so much time in over the years. Yeah, that's interesting. Can you talk a little bit more about the capital that older women might have that they don't realize that they have when they are reinventing themselves? Because that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I think this was one of my central insights and it came to me um, I think I'm fundamentally sort of like a very, I'm a very introverted person and I just like the world the way I like it, right? I'm a social introvert, so I love to talk to people, but I also like to be in control of my world. And one aspect of that was I like to work and be with people that I like, right? So part of the reason I became a freelancer in the first place was that so I could control the people in my environment. I really only want to work with nice people. Um, and if you're going to treat me, if you're going to be a jerk, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm moving on, right? Um, and so what I found by the time when I went through this divorce in my early 40s, I found that I really had surrounded myself with a network of people that I really liked and loved, um, you know, that were like me, that shared my values. And part of that was me saying, holy shit. <laughs> I'm like in a dire strait here, right? I have no money. I got to figure this out pretty fast. And I could turn to those people um, who were my friends and without even asking them that blatantly, right? Um, I would just be like, whoa, what do I do? And people just step forward um, with assignments and um, with other kinds of help and connections. Um, and I feel like that is capital when I started to see capital in a broader way, um, I realized that women over the age of 40 or as they age develop this kind of capital um, 
So it's a question of learning how to use it. And there are some, there are some tricks, tricks or skills, tactics that you need to learn to, to activate your network, um, but you have it. Um, that's, I feel like something that older women don't necessarily recognize because this is a form of capital that has not been very valued in the patriarchy. So can you talk about how you activate that? Because uh, this is really great. I mean, that it really is what, what I'm trying to teach women who have come to the end of their first part of their career or the first part of their, you know, their social life or their first part of their relationships. Um, as I always say, that's not a straight line. Um, something is going to get in the way. We live long enough now, hopefully, that it's not a straight shot out. And the great thing is you, you get another chance and you get to come at it a different way. And it might be more satisfying. Um, there's tons of refugees from banking and insurance and all that, for, you know, in Covey Club trying to find out, you know, they want more creativity. They want all this stuff, but actually activating that, that network is so interesting. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And I add that when you describe um, the people that you're working with, it just makes kind of my heart like swell with, with optimism. Um, because I, when I think of like how much um, skill and intelligence and experience collectively resides in that group of women, I'm like, whoa, right? Um, if we could, if, when you can activate, right? There's so much power there. Um, Let's see. So I have not actually thought about this in detail before. Some you're, I can tell a great interviewer. Some of this is coming out. I'm articulating it really for the first time now. Um, but I would, I think the steps to activating that network are first of all you have to make yourself vulnerable, and I think that's hard for women who have been in relatively high-powered careers high powered or whatever, you know, who have been in careers, because you're really taught for those first 20 years of your career. Oh, you've got to be tough, like optics are everything. You've got to look bigger than you are, you know, all that advice women get about, woo, standing up taller and being, I mean, I buy into that to some extent, you have to talk to rooms of men. Um, but when you're in a transition, I think you have to make yourself vulnerable and be honest strategically with the people that you feel will help. And that's where I think another um, quality that women have really comes into play because we know who the good guys are and the good gals, right? Your intuition and your emotional intelligence will tell you who's apt to help you um, and who's gonna not. <laughs> um, and so you use your time then reaching out strategically to the people who will be both kind and in a position to help. Um, so I think that's the first step to activating your network is reaching out. I don't think it works typically to be too blunt about what you need. Um, I think that turns everybody off. So, you know, I think you can say I'm open to this assignment. I'm open to this kind of support. Um, I think you say that kind of at the tail end of conversations, or you find ways to say it in a thank you note um, after you've let people know about the change in your life. Um, I think you always give people an out when you're communicating with them. Um, 
you know, if, if you're, if you are negotiating, if you do get to the point where you're negotiating for actual um, money or, a, or a job or, you know, support for the business you want to start, I think you always say, I'll understand and our relationship will be okay if this doesn't work out. Right. Um, that's an important element of that whole negotiation and pitching when you're in the midst of activating your network. And I'm trying to think of other things I'd say to like for that social capital that this is all, I think, things that come very naturally to most women. But the other thing is that you help too, right? It's all, even if you think you're in a position where you can't help, offer the help anyway, right? It goes both ways. One of my best mentors over the years was Andy Ratcliffe, who is um, a former venture capitalist and now an entrepreneur in Silicon Valley. And I was working for him in the midst of my divorce. He was tremendously supportive. And one of the lessons he taught me is always be one favor ahead. He's a super transactional guy. I hope you wouldn't mind me saying that. Um, but it was something that I really learned and took to heart as I was moving through that phase of activating my network was be one favor ahead. Don't be two. Don't be three favors ahead. You know, don't don't give too much um, in the business world. Um, be one favor ahead. Wow, amazing. Um, that that's incredible information. You have no idea. I don't think I've had anybody analyze it so well. And that's one of the big, well, and that's one of the big issues is how, you know, it's making this transition and women not seeing what they have and, you know, having the soft touch without, you know, people don't, women don't like to ask for things. They don't like to ask for help. They don't like to ask for money. You know, basically they don't like to ask, they've been trained not to ask for anything. So. Right. Right. Exactly. It drives but me. But we have to. Oh, so. I know. It drives me bonkers that when I'm on a Facebook group for women writers and they're always, I get, I get on there and they're always underselling themselves and, and, and asking for too little money. And I'm just like, uh, ask, ask for more, right. Um, ask for more. That's one of my other rules. Ask for more than you think you're going to get. Now, how did you do that? How did you set up, um, the entrepreneurial times? So how did that come about and what made you, did you just decide, I don't want to do the freelance all the time, or you just ended up thinking this is such an interesting area. And was, how did you get that going? And how long did it take you to get going? And did you have investors or how did you start out? Yeah, I'm happy to talk about that. It's a, I, I've, I'm, I sort of like sometimes wake up in the morning and think, whoa, I'm a CEO, right? It's, it's feels kind of crazy. Um, so what happened is that I had, I had, in, reinvented myself into this kind of super life that I loved, right? I was like a globetrotting business journalist. I had these high profile clients. I was working with Abby Disney on a book project. I'm a huge fan of Abby Disney, who also taught me a ton about reinvention in your older years. Um, so I had this great life. And then my older daughter hit high school. Um, my mom got sick. And I really felt like I needed to be home more stationary in the U.S. And um, I also um, 
when I was in that sort of globetrotting phase of my reinvention, I took my kids with me a ton, right? Um, probably even a little bit more than was good for them, but they're incredibly independent now um, because of those years. So they traveled with me through the Middle East and uh, through the middle of the US. Um, and I would take them out of school for a week or two at a time sometimes. And um, but as when high school hit, I really couldn't do that anymore, right? My older daughter needed to buckle down. So I came, so I was back here and I thought, well, you know, how am I gonna make a living now, right? I don't have this kind of travel component, some of these other projects I need to um, push to the side and find some new things to do. And what I had noticed a gap in the market, right? I thought there was a place for a publication that would cover the emerging world of entrepreneurship that I had encountered um, in my reporting. And I thought there were two ways to do it. Um, one is kind of a, a trade publication that really looks at the world of entrepreneurship, all the accelerators and funders and people who are working in the space, especially those with kind of a mission-driven orientation. So people who want to create companies that will do good in the world. Um, there's no publication that covers them. And I thought there was space for that. And at the same time, as we've talked about, you know, the world of journalism has collapsed, which is like a rip in my heart, right? Because it's so important to our society that journalism exists. And so the other part of what I'm doing with Times of Entrepreneurship is, is reinventing the way business journalism is done. It doesn't have to look at institutions it doesn't have to look only at money. Um, neither of those things are really true. And then fundamentally, right, it, it, business journalism just misses the major story. Women are more than 50% of, okay, women are starting businesses at four times the rate of the general population. So within a few years, we're going to be more than half of the business world. Um, we're going to own more than half of the companies. Um, and within that, within the group of women, women of color um, are responsible for 65% of the new business starts. And this, these facts are just completely not reflected in the mainstream business media. So I thought, you know what, if nobody else is going to do it, I'm just going to write what actually is happening. And at the same time, I thought there was a real business model there because I think that there's room for a B2B publication. And I thought I can get it off the ground that way in kind of a traditional media sense. And then I was super lucky to find um, support from the Kauffman Foundation and the Walton Family Foundation. They gave me some seed money to get it off the ground. Um, and, you know, we're one year, one year in just uh, last month, we signed our first sponsorship, not from the philanthropic world, but um, with YPO, Young Presidents Organization. Um, so it's, it's pretty exciting, pretty amazing. We're tiny, but we're growing. That's great. I mean, just a year. That's awesome. I'm three years old and still struggling. So <laughs> you're, you're well, well on your way, way beyond that. So talk a little bit about the book. What's the book about? Who's it for? Um, and how did it come about? Um, so it came about, uh, so here's maybe another, I don't know if this is a, this is a trick of, so there is an essential truth of the patriarchy, which is that white men still control most of the money. 
So as much as we talk about how much power women have, and I believe all that's fundamentally true, you still have to figure out how to work with, with white men that have money. Um, and so uh, I was in Jerusalem and on, on assignment in Jerusalem and encountered um, a venture capitalist, Seth Levine, who runs uh, as a co-founder of the Foundry Group. It's out in Boulder, Colorado. And he and I kind of uh, connected because I was writing a story about a company that he had funded um, near Jerusalem. And so it was kind of this meeting of the minds where we're like, wow, we're both sort of crazy out here, right? Believing that entrepreneurship can be a force for good in the world. But we connected by phone in Jerusalem. And one of the things was I said to him, Seth, I really, I don't have time to talk to you. Uh, I'm busy doing other stuff and I've already got what I need for the story. And I think because he's an important man and somebody who's not used to being turned down, I think he remembered me. Um, and so a few years later, when I looked him up in Boulder, he said, yeah, come and you know, have a chat. And that's really, so I think the one of the important things is when we talk about knowing our value, part of that's knowing the value of your time. Um, it's not only about asking for the right amount of money, but just saying, I don't have time for this particular thing right now, no matter who it is, right? And no matter if it feels like they're entitled to the time. Well, they're not. Um, I feel really that, that my standing up for myself in a very simple way at that moment to say, hey, I don't have time to talk to you um, actually led to much greater things. And I don't know if that will make sense to people, but when I came back to Seth, we agreed, um, we just thought it'd be fun to write a book together. Um, and we decided to look at entrepreneurship as it existed outside Silicon Valley, outside New York. Uh, it's kind of what I was working on with Times of Entrepreneurship as well, right? Broadening the definition of entrepreneurship beyond the high-tech white male founder. And so um, we launched that two years ago, uh, the book. And like I said, it was meant to be fun. And then we discovered a couple of things. One, we discovered that there was a big disconnect between the new world of entrepreneurship, which as I've said, is women and people of color and the finance structure, which is white men. Um, and because of that big disconnect, um, the women and people of color really aren't getting the money that they need to grow their businesses. Finance is just a basic component of what a business needs. And if you don't, if you're not tapped into it, either through venture capital or bank financing or grant funding, it's much less likely your business will succeed. So when we notice that disconnect, we put it together with the fact that there's been a 40 year long, very slow decline in the rate of entrepreneurship in the United States and the success of companies. Um, it's harder now to start a successful small business. We put it together and we said, hey, there's kind of a crisis here, right? And it's a crisis that starts in the finance system that we both know well. So we were writing that book, which had become more important than the book we initially started to write. And then the pandemic hit and that just kind of ripped the cover off everything about our society, right? And so many problems and exacerbated so many of the trends. And so we accelerated the publication schedule for the book, which is coming out May 4th. So what does it cover, Elizabeth, exactly? And, and what will women like us find in there? 
yeah, so I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to talk about one of the stories in there. Um, it, it's called The New Builders, Face-to-Face with the True Future of Business. And what it covers are the trends I just described. Um, it tells the stories of about half a dozen um, entrepreneurs around the United States who don't fit the mold of our image of entrepreneurs. Um, and so there's a story of a Dominican immigrant who starts a bakery. She not over 40, but she was in her 30s when she got it off the ground and now employing um, about 18 people in Lawrence, Massachusetts. And it follows her struggle through the system and how she got it off the ground. And we talked to Isaac Collins, who is um, the owner of three Yogurtini franchises in Kansas City. He's a black man. Um, and we look at how his parents were both felons and kind of how he was smart about grabbing some threads and pulling himself up with those threads. And then one of the stories that we tell that's really close to my heart is the story of Claire Chef, who is runs an outfitting business in the Montana wilderness with her husband. Um, and she had exactly what we've been describing, right? She was living on the track to live this life of kind of this Ivy League educated lawyer. Um, she had a law degree and went to Dartmouth for undergrad and was building this whole life, but ended up taking a couple years off and teaching in Montana and then fell in love with it um, and also fell in love with her husband, Mark, uh, who's a cowboy. Um, and so she's now a teacher in Ronan, um, which is in a rural part of Montana. And then in the summertime, they have a business where they lead um, greenhorns <laughs> into the wilderness on horseback. Um, and they really help create advocates for the environment and for the wilderness with those trips. And I ended up, I took three of those trips with my daughters and ended up talking to Claire for a long time on every one of the trips. And, so, and she very kindly kind of let me into her thinking and the transformation she'd gone through um, so that when she was 40, she found herself like in the shower with tears running down her face. And all this is in the book, but she was standing there in the shower saying, what is my life, right? I'm not, I haven't done any of the things that I set out to do. I thought I'd be this world changer and her, transformation, her reinvention was really focusing on what she wanted out of life and focusing on really what made her happy. And now she finds herself, you know, five years later, three or five years later, um, at peace with all those choices she's made. Wow, right up our alley. Holy moly. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So People can find you. Um, what's the best play? Well, first of all, they they can find your book everywhere, I'm guessing, right? On Amazon. Yes, everywhere. we are. Well, we have a website, which is, um, you know, thenewbuilders.com. Ah, uh, separate website. Okay, cool. Yep. Yes, and you can buy the book there through Amazon, but also we have a bunch of independent bookstores around the country where you can just click and buy it from there as well. That's nice. Yeah, that's a good way to help keep other people in business. Yep. And then the times of entrepreneurship, you can just take a subscription. Yes. Well, it's free for now. I think I probably will do a small um, donation slash payment coming up pretty soon. 
Great. Anything else that, I mean, you've been so instructive all along. I can't imagine there's anything else, but anything else that you want women to know uh, who are reinventing themselves in terms of tactics or in terms of how to get from standing Uh, in the shower, crying, going, (laughs) what am I going to do with the second part of my life? Right. (laughs) Or how am I going to get over this hurdle? Yeah. You've really been so wonderfully tactical, but is there one, anything left? Maybe I would say two, I'd say two things. I mean, one is I I do think it's about focusing on what makes you happy, um, which is not all that easy for women to do. Recognizing it's not easy, um, staying focused on what you want to do. And then, you know, meeting your obligations at the same time you stay focused on that, I would say. But the other thing, and this is super tactical, um, is that I feel like I was really enabled in all of this by having a strong kind of financial like sensibility. Um, so I love fine things. Like you will see me in the store, like staring at the champagne case thinking, God, I can't wait until I could buy one of those like $50 bottles, but I don't, um, I, you know, I go with like the Kava for 10 because I have a huge aversion to debt. Um, and I'm like rigorous about living within my means, keeping the fees and my monthly costs low. And I think when you do that, you just have a much stronger base from which to explore that second phase of your life. It's funny. I, I worked in, I don't know why my my editor in chief ships always ended up being the one where they decided to start cutting the budget. Don't ex- I can't explain the no. people that came before me were flush with money for whatever yeah. reason. I walked in, they go, hmm, let me cut your budget by five million. Oh, so it was funny because I always I was like, oh my God, I'm the one that's always asked to do this. And it's interesting learning to live in corporate life with nothing. I mean, there were some of these companies that literally there were days where I thought they were going to come in and just cut up the carpet and roll it out. So I was like, oh, so that's why I can get through the pandemic with my small business is because (laughs) I learned from these people who had billions of dollars and refused to spend anything on any project I did that I could do it. So yeah, yeah, you do learn and it is, it is nice to not be in debt. Yeah. So, but yes. And you never know, you never know where that your history is going to come in and help you. Yeah, that's right. Wonderful. Elizabeth, everybody will go and check out the book. Sounds really inspiring. They can follow you um, at the times of entrepreneurship too, that there's inspiring stuff there and who knows might be uh, stuff there that you will read that will, I inspire you as well. So thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited to meet you. Yeah, I am as well after the pandemic. Yes, <laughs> we're going to meet. We're, yes. all, these, all these women, everybody I interview, I'm going to have to have like a, a, a big reinvent yourself reunion at some point. Oh my God, it'll be amazing. And make it a potluck. I want to Yeah, try yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. I love it. That's a great idea. You just actually gave me a great idea of what to do. Yeah. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you for your time. Bye-bye. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I am always so amazed 
by women and their gumption and their ability to look deep inside, find out what they really love and try to figure out how to monetize that. And when they do, it's incredible, the amazing things that we bring to the world. And I am very hopeful that that will be something that comes out of COVID as well as, as we put this world back together. Why don't we think about dismantling the white patriarchy's way of doing it and create a new way that is much more multi-generational, multicolor, multi-everything, because it's Darwin. The more ideas you have, the more resources you have, the more variability you have, you see it in science, the better you do. So why not, why not push for it that way? Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please give us a rating, leave us a comment, share the podcast with your friends, anybody who needs inspiration or tactical help with reinvention. We are all gonna be reinventing ourselves. Even the reinventors are gonna be reinventing. Who knows what's in front of us? But we're here to guide you, help you. We definitely believe in a positive, exciting future out there for all of us. And come on over to thecoffeeclub.com. We have pods now, which we just launched. They're so exciting. Small groups of women who are getting together. We put you together with people who are interested in the same things you are and you figure out what you're going to do. You could be an accountability group. You could meet to work on a project, whatever it is you wanna do. We have our regular content, which is fabulous. We teach three days a week, and we also have coaching on Monday mornings. We have special, uh, special build your biz uh, group of women who meet to talk about entrepreneurship, and we support you as we go through. Um, come on over and check us out and see all the great things we do for women 40 plus and an occasional man, which is really fun. So thank you for joining us. Hope you'll come back. Please be sure to subscribe and we'll see you again next time. Take care.